Welcome to My Life, Chassidah Supplied, episode 332. This program is dedicated by Igor and Rita Tsalyuk for the Rafur Shlema of Rita's mother, Ella Ratzina. We begin the week of Parshas Vayetze, and then this week we also have the two special Hasidic days connected to the Mitla Rebbe, Tes Kislev, followed by Yud Kislev. Tes Kislev is both the birthday and the yard site of the Mitla Rebbe, the only one of the Chabad Rabbeim, actually born, and his Talkus was on the same day. The next day, Yud Kislev, is the Chag HaGu'ula, the Chag HaGu'ula of the Mitla Rebbe from prison. And one of the reasons the Rebbe explains why Yud Kislev did not become so prominent as the Chag HaGu'ula of Yutas Kislev was because the Gu'ula was actually a year before the Mitla Rebbe was passed away. So when it came the next year, the first year of the, celebrating the Chag Gula was literally a day after Zistalkos, which would explain why the celebration was somewhat muted. But nevertheless, in the following years, Yud Kislev has become part of the Chesidosh Fabrengen, Yud Kislev, the Gula of the Mitla Rebbe. The Rebbe would Fabreng very often on that day. Throughout the years, often it was on Shabbos. But then later years, the Rebbe would Fabreng was the weekdays as well. Mitla Rebbe. So we have these two days. So let's talk about Chassidus Applied, as is our custom, to discuss the timely connection and its relevance and application to our personal lives. Let's begin with Vayetze. The Rebbe actually connects Vayetze with Tessin Yud Kislev a number of times, but especially what I'll be referring to is the Sicha of Shabbos Parsha Vayetze, which was, I believe, Tess or Yud Kislev, Tovshin Mem Zayim, Tovshin Mem Zayim, and connects the two. Vayetze Yaakov Be'er Sheba Vayelech Harono, a classic beginning of Yaakov's journey, leaving Be'er Sheba, the home of his parents, both escaping from Esav as well as to find a Shidduch in, uh, in Harono. Says the Erachayim, Echsidus cites that the Erachayim on the Posuk, that Vayetze Yaakov, refers to Yeridas HaNeshama Beguf, the journey of each one of us, of a soul descending from Be'er Sheva, the fountain of seven is the Sheva Midas, what Chassidus from Kabbalah uses Zoh, Zoyer Ampin, Sheva Midas, from Chesed through Malchus of Atzilus, and descends where? To the antithetical and the diametric opposite of Be'er Sheva, which is a fountain, Mayim, Chaim, and seven, fountain of seven, to where? To Charona. And not just Charon, Charon but Charona. Charon is from the word Charin Af Shalmokim, God's wrath. A hostile environment that is antithetical to the divine and to godliness. Which indeed it was. You're going to Charon where Lovon dominated. Lovon, of course, Lovon Arami. And the next 20 years would be very challenging years for Yaakov in this place called Charon. Charona. Excuse me. So this indicates and this reflects the Neshama Zirida from a very spiritual, lofty place to this world in which we are here. But we go with all the strengths that are necessary. 
So then the Pasha continues how Yaakov fell asleep there. Later he found out it was Haramiria, the Harabayis. And that's when he has his dream with the Sulamuts of Artsa, the ladder. And then Hashem comes to him and tells him, Do not be afraid, because I'm going with you, and I will give you all the blessings you need. Which, of course, is the lesson of the Neshama coming down. It doesn't go alone. It's a dark world, and Neshama does not want to go. It's fearful because of this hostile world. But Hashem says, I go with you, and I will give you all the brachas. Beginning of Tanya, actually, based on Sepe de Gimel de Nida, that the Neshama is Mashbin, not just it takes an oath, but as Chassidus Tzemach Tzedek explained, Mashbin from the word Mazbiya, the Savoto, it's sated, it's satiated, it's, it's nourished, and essentially filled with resources and strengths to deal with the challenges to be a tzaddik and not the opposite. So Yaakov now goes armed with that promise, and the promise, that your children that you will bear once you build a family will be everywhere. This is where the Pesach says it. Spread out. To the east and the west, north and south, meaning the entire world will be filled with your children who will continue the legacy that you and your holy parents, Yitzchak, and before that Avram, Avram and Sari, Yitzchak and Nifke, taught you and that you will continue to perpetuate and this promise was fulfilled. Not just then, most importantly, till this very day. So the, the parasha is extremely relevant to, to all of us, collectively and individually, because it c- captures the most important message of all, do not be afraid. You have everything you need to deal with any challenge that comes your way. And indeed, not only will you survive the challenges, but you will thrive. As explained, not just in commerce, in quantity, but in quality, you will influence, you will inspire, and you will transform the world around you. East, west, north, south. So we have this brachi, each one of us, as children of Avram Yitzchak Yankov, specifically Yaakov Avinu. And indeed, the Pasha continues, hey, Yaakov comes, has to deal with, this, with the deceitful and duplicitous lovan, which reflects all duplicity and deceit and darkness in this world. And yet, from that emerges the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. Together with Rachel and Leah, Yaakov builds the Jewish nation, the Yud Beish Fotim and Dina, from which all Jewish people would originate from as it, in the continuing generations. And at the end of the parsha, Yaakov Holochladarki, Yaakov returns after 20 years, now with a large family and laden with gifts and treasures, above all with the spiritual strength to deal with any adversity and any adversary that would come his way. And that is given to each one of us we have those strengths. So when we have to deal with our charana, everyone in their own personal lives, with wrath, with anger, with darkness, with hostility, with fears, with insecurities, and whether it's internal psychological ones or external ones, whether it's a time of COVID or pandemic, time of uncertainty, or we may have challenges with our families or with parnosa, livelihood, whatever it may be, we are given that strength that the Vayetzi Yaakov me be'er Shav Vayelecharana.
But we all need our Vayetzi. Every Neshama comes down to this world. With all the challenges, it's given those strengths. With a connection to Tess and Yud Kislev, to the Mitla Rebbe, the Rebbe explains that the Mitla Rebbe, the Vayetzi is on many levels. We just discussed the Vayetzi going from a place of Be'er Sheva, seven fountain of seven, and we go to a place of Kharona, a dark place. But on a more subtle level, what the Mitla Rebbe represented in the in the order and the progression of the development of Chassidus, the Mitla Rebbe represents Bina. As it says in the Sikhis, that the Altareb, that the Balshemtev and the Magad were Keser, Atik and Arich, the Altareb, Chochme, Mitla Rebbe, Bina. What is Bina compared to Chochme? Chochme is a Nakuda, a spark, a kernel, a seed. And Bina develops it, Rechivis Hanar. Chachmah is compared to Mayan to the drops that come from a spring, from a live spring, so it's very concentrated and very intense, but concentrated. It's only one point, one flash. Borokamavrik, like the flash of a lightning flash. Bina takes that drop, that concentrated drop, and flushes it out and develops it into a broad and expansive, comprehensive approach, which is exactly what you see in the Chassidus of the Mitlareb. So as the Rebbe always points out, Mihu Zevezahu, who of us has the capacity to go measure Rebbes? We don't measure that. But this is what we've been told. So according to our understanding, we see the Mitla Rebbe. One page of the Alta Rebbe's Maimon in Teira Eir, Teira, by the Mitla Rebbe can be 10 pages. The Mitla Rebbe itself, of course, wrote Hanochis. He wrote down what he had heard from the, Mitla, from the Alta Rebbe. And even as Hanochis, relative to the others that wrote the same Maimon, you see is also further expanded. But still, much closer, obviously, to the, the Maimur of the Alter Rebbe, just with a little expansion. In other words, you would write out the sentence with more, with more words and so on. But then when the Mitla Rebbe says that same Maimur, or writes that same discourse, there, as I said, it can be pages and pages. We're talking about tens, 20, 30, 40 pages. So the Mitla Rebbe represents Bina de Vayetze from the Nakuda of Chochmah. So Vayetzi Yaakov, Meber Sheva, is also the idea that the Yitziah, going out from Chochmah, and bring it outward to Bina, which begins the expansion, firstly, inside each human being, from Chochmah to Bina, from the spark, the divine spark, and it's fleshed out, until it spreads out to Faratz the Yom of Akedman, the true Hafotzeh. As we see, the Mitla Rebbe also was involved directly with publishing, published Many of his works were published by the Mitla Rebbe himself, meaning he directed the publishing. The Svarim that Derachayim, Sharit Shuva, Imrebina, Pekeachivrim, Pirashamilis, the Siddur of the Alter Rebbe, meaning the Alter Rebbe's Mamorim organized in a Siddur by, this, by the, by the Tfilis. Same thing with Biuri Hazayar. And I just mentioned some of them, there are more. There's just, since we're meeting with Shari Eira, which consists of both Purim and Chanukah, Shar HaMuna, which is for Pesach, Shar HaYichud. So you have from the Mitla Rebbe abundance for him, I think more than any of the other Rabbeim, that he directly wrote and got published in his time. Interestingly, many of them either use the word Bina, like Imre Bina, or Shar, because Nun Shari Bina. Shar is a gate. Chochmah, it says, Nesivas Chochmah. 
There's 32 nesivas, 32 paths of Chachma. But Sha'arim is an expansive gate. Sha'ar relates to Bina. So you see that the Mitla Rebbe, in the names that he gave to the Svarim, hints to that, that approach, which is a Sha'ar, a gate, or Bina. Sha'ari Bina. So, with that said, <clears throat> what lesson do we learn from this? That Chsidis, there's the Nekudah of Chsidis, which obviously everything begins with and is grounded in the, in the Alta Rebbe's foundational elements. And even though the Alta Rebbe itself, himself, we know that before Petersburg, meaning before Yutas Kislev, the Alta Rebbe was relatively even more bekitzed his discourses. Later, they were a little longer, but still not compared to Bina. In Chochm itself, you could say there were two levels. The Mitler have expanded it in an entire new way. And expansion, of course, allows us to understand it better. Chassidus sometimes says the difference between Chachm and Bina is like Ria and Shmiya, seeing and hearing. When you see something, you see everything in one shot. But you don't necessarily understand it. Hisamtus, its resonance and its resonating truth, is very powerful when you see it. When you hear something, you hear it piece by piece by piece. So you may not have that, quite that intensity of seeing but you can internalize it. So when someone shares with you something they saw, the piece by piece, detail by detail, and you slowly build the picture, but it's much more understandable, much more internalized. So chassidus, you want to have both qualities. You want to have both the resonating truth of chokhmah, of the spark, but you want to also have it internalized in a way that we can understand it with examples, relate to it. And that's what the Mitla Rebbe introduced. The other Rabbeim, each one would take Chassidus further in its development with the goal of Yofutsu Mayanesecha Chutsa, Yofutsu, in a way similar to the idea of Ufaratsu, spreading Yofutsu, Vayetse, taking the Mayanesecha, Mayanesecha is Chachma, but spreading it, Chutsa, to the outskirts, to the Chutsa Shein Chutsa Memeno. And that's our mission in life. The Neshama comes down to this world, Vayetse Yakum Eber Sheva Vayela not just to be here, but to illuminate, to transform the wrath of this world into a a home for the divine, a garden, Bosilegani, a garden, which is of course the exact opposite of Charein, to bring the Be'er Sheva, and even higher than Be'er Sheva, even higher than the seven Midas of Atzillus, and higher levels, and, and make that a viable and a, and a permanent reality that permeates and is internalized in this universe. And of course, the coming of Mashiach is the culmination and fulfillment and realization of this kavana, this intention. Each one of us has this mission. This month of Kislev, the Chesidosh month of Kislev, that has all the days of Eshchidosh Kislev, which we discussed last week, and has Tess and Yud Kislev, and has Yudalit Kislev, the anniversary of the Rebbe and the Rebetzin, then, of course, Yudtes Kislev, and then will come Hanukkah, all resonate with this theme. Chanukah, al Pesach Beisimi Bachutz, Mishetishka Achama, in the dark night after the sun sets, not in the middle of the day, and al Pesach Beisimi Bachutz on the doorpost, Mibachutz facing outward. What do we do? We light the Menorah. The Menorah is Shemen. Shemen is Chachmah, but you're taking the Shemen and not just leaving it in, within. You're revealing that olive oil. Shemen Shebetayra, Rosen de Rosen, the secrets of the secrets of Tayra. You're spreading it, not just inward, but outward, the farthest extent. So it's all that theme, taking it to heart. Each one of us means applying it to our personal lives. Ask yourself the question, what did I do today? What will I do tomorrow? 
What will I do the next day? How am I doing something to spread chesidus, to spread Torah and Yiddishkeit beyond myself? And today we have many tools to do so, with technology and so on. We have many ways of ayetze yankum be'er shava ve'elacharona and ufaratz the yom ve'kenu v'tzafeinu v'negba. But we all have to think of it as our personal responsibility. The Rebbe told us, do your part and that will bring the Gula. We don't know exactly what will tip the scale. We know much has been done. We know we're at the threshold. But now we still have to continue forward. People have questions, but questions cannot stop progress. You can ask questions, but don't let it ever in any way hamper or weaken your resolve. Because this is what the Rabbeim gave Mesa Nefesh for. It wasn't just for what happened in their time, but something that empowers us till this very day. So we go with all their keiches, and this week of Ayetze, the keiches of doing exactly that in Choron, spreading the light, near mitzvah v'teira er. Okay. From time to time, people write, and they share different thoughts and comments. But here I got an interesting request, which I'd like to read. Uh, someone wrote and said, I, due to the fact we have a wide platform, I want to give a blessing to the community. If you can read it during your, bra- your broadcast so people can answer, amen, I would appreciate it. So I shall do that. I shall fulfill that request. May God Almighty bless every Jew and righteous Gentile, both individually and collectively, that we can reveal our inner strength during these difficult times and overcome any obstacles, both real or imagined. May God bless that the pandemic ends. May God bless that everyone is successful in all their endeavors and that they enjoy their success in the best of health. And as the Rebbe, often blessed people, may everyone always have good news to report. Amen. Thank you. And I'll use this opportunity. Yes, this is a public platform. I have the schus and the merit to be the one that is uh, the MC, if you wish. But if you do have any comments or questions or uh, things you'd like to share that fit, this, fit, the, fit the venue that we're, my, my life has applied, it would be my honor to use this platform and bring that message. Because this exactly is what I just said earlier, is an excellent way of spreading tater, spreading chassidus. That's the whole purpose of this program. We have a special site dedicated to this program called chassidusapply.com. There you have, number one, a forum where you can write and comment anonymously, completely anonymously, any question you may have. Nothing is off limits. Everything will be addressed. Number two, you have all the archives of all previous 331 episodes that cover a pretty wide gamut and spectrum of subjects. They're all accessible. You can download them as podcasts and MP3s. And they're also time-stamped. So you can actually go to the exact time, see the subjects that are all bulleted topics. You can go to the exact place you'd like to listen to. And through a search, you can find subjects quite easily on any topic you'd like to be interested in. And obviously, we continue to develop more topics. Some of them are issues that we've already addressed with another angle. And uh, finally, well, not finally, in addition, there's also all the essays. And this year, the creative submissions in the My Life, annual My Life Chassidah Supply Essay and Creative Contest. 
you find you can find this. <laughs> I can tell you that you can spend, if you any free time, you have plenty of material there to review. Very inspiring. The creatives are extremely interesting and innovative. In addition, this site is also home for other Hasidic resources. There are classes there and writings that uh, that. Um, present Hemshech Samachvav, Hemshech Ayim which I give a class in every day. I recently began a weekly Thursday class at the Nukailal here, which is also being broadcast, so you can participate in that either live or, um, or archived replay. So just go to chassidahsupply.com and you can see the schedule, as well as other resources. Okay, some announcements made here. Now, being that often questions come in, even though already in Parsha Vayetze, some questions come in from previous Parshas, like yesterday's Parsha, which was Tailedus, and before that, Chai Soda, and I don't want to wait necessarily till next year. So since we're still in the aura, you can say, of yesterday's Shabbos reading and week before, so I'm going to deal with two questions that came in afterwards and uh, address them since especially since they're somewhat pretty uh, controversial, as well as something that many people ask about. Might as well address them. So, the first question is about Rivka. In last week's Parsha, we read how Yitzchok and Rivka get married. Beginning of the Parsha, Avram sends Eliezer, Evid Avram, his servant, to go find a Shidduch, to go back to the home where he came from, Avram came from. And yes, Eliezer, Rivka, the daughter of Lavan, the sister of Lavan, I'm sorry, the daughter of of, of uh, yeah, um, Suel, um becomes the Kala and comes back with Yitzch- with, uh, with uh, Eliezer and is betrothed to Yitzchok. Rashi says there that she was three years old. So here's the question. Was Rivka actually three years old when she got married to Yitzchok? Question mark, exclamation point. I'm what we, I'm, I am what would we... I am what we, one would be calling a returning Jew, and that I'm just now rediscovering the Judaism of my childhood. In reading this week's parsha, we learn that Yitzchak married Rebecca, Isaac married Rebecca when she was only three years old, and that she spoke in complete sentences when asked whose daughter she was. In the text, we also read that she was identified as a woman and a girl, both. I'm confused as how this entire scenario is even feasible, can you please help me sort this sort through this conundrum? Thank you. So this question is a very blatant and obvious question. It doesn't say in the verse at all her age, but Rashi bringing from Medrash does cite three years old, based on a calculation that Yitzchak was 37 during the Akedah, and this was three years later, and that's when she was born, Rivka, and this is now three years later, because Yitzchak got married at age 40. So it would calculate that she's three. So there are different responses, but I'll just go to straight. The Teisvis in Yevomis, famous Teisvis in Yevomis, recites Mesifri, that says that she was actually 14 years old, which is why the, the word for her is not used as katana, which refers to a katana, a young child, but nara. Nara is someone at least 12 years old. And Teisvis quotes that she was 14 years old. 14 years old is already an age that we know even... Uh, in uh, the last century or two, the, that age for men and for women, that was quite common, that younger age. So that's, so clearly you see it's two different opinions. But still, how do you explain it according to the opinion that Rashi cites? 
So there is a sikha from the Rebbe that he speak, speaks about that, that even in Pshut Shamikra, it seems odd that three years old. So the Rebbe explains that three years old does not mean technically three. It meant that since Rivka carried in herself the neshama of Sarah, as we see in the Parsha, that that was one of the indicators. Yitzchak knew that Rivka was the right one because he brought it to Sarah, to the oil, to the tent of Sarah, and he immediately saw the same three, the same three great features, beautiful features of his mother, were, were achieved the same thing. Rivka elicited the same three features. And what is that? That there was a bracha mitsuya be'isa, which means a blessing in her dough. Second, there was an onon kshura be'el, there was a cloud in the oil, which refers to tars and And number three, that there was a ne'er dolok of Shabbos, let of Shabbos. The candle, the flame she lit, lit burned all week long, from Friday to Friday. So this, we see that Rivka, therefore, embodied in some way the Nisham of Sarah. So why three years old? Because Yerivka was born three years after Sarah was passed away. So the three years of Sarah is referring to the three years that, it's the overlap rather, three years before Sarah passed away, three years after Sarah passed away. So she embodies those three years. So it's really three spiritual Sarah years. So her technical age was 14, but she had within herself the three years and that's why three years old. There are other explanations given as well, but this is a very adequate explanation, especially that there is a source clearly and a reliable source from Sifri that she was 14 years old. So, yeah. Another question, was it okay for Yaakov to cheat Esav out of his birthright? So that, that was, uh, again, in the... Um, actually, I should correct myself. I said last week's Pasha. No, Rivka's Pasha, the story of Rivka is Chayesara, two weeks ago, uh, meaning a week from yesterday. Um, the question of Pasha Teldus is a question that I'm going to read now. Was it okay for Yaakov to cheat Esav out of his birthright? Just because Esav was evil? So if I have a neighbor who's evil, can I cheat him and steal from him? So this is a topic I believe I did address in the past, because it's not just about the birthright, it's also about the blessings. And I discussed it in previous years, I can refer you to episodes, I believe, um, uh, 88, 138, 187, 233, and 283, where I discussed this topic. And briefly, the answer is, the only way to really answer it adequately, not bidyevet, to find some loophole how Esav could have, Yaakov could have behaved this way, and just to make this question stronger, Ishtam Yeshavaholim, the Pasuk says. He was an innocent, a pure individual who, sat, who dwelled in the tents, who studied Torah all day. How could he even behave in such a manner? And the Torah documents it now. So briefly, the way Chassidus explains it is that Yaakov and Esav are twin brothers. They represent the Nefesh Alekis and the Nefesh Abamis, the animals, divine soul and the animal soul. Zelu Asalikim. God created both of them with equal strengths. And that's why they struggled. The struggle in, Riv- in Rivka's womb and later throughout their lives was the struggle of these two voices. Lu'um alum yemez, the Pasuk says. Two nations within you. These two nations, both on the collective nation, national level, but also on a personal level, is the battle. Now this does not mean the Nefesh Abamis is a bad thing. The goal is, The Gemara says, to transform also the animal soul should be harnessed and directed toward Divine ends. 
But an animal soul does not have that compass on its own. It needs Yaakov, its twin brother, the Nefesh HaLekis, to direct it. So they both need each other. The divine soul has to come down into this world, as I mentioned, has to enter this world. And its goal is not just to dominate and reveal the divine, but to inform and transform and educate and train the animal soul. So what Yaakov was actually doing, was, was actually harnessing and training that animal soul, that Esau. You can't do it directly because Esau doesn't understand necessarily the value of spiritual world, of spirituality. So you do it in a way that the Nefesh Abamas understands on its terms. It understands Nezida Doshim. That's why Yaakov dresses up later in Esau's clothing. Why? And is assisted by Rivka. Because the Nefesh Lekiz, the divine soul, has to dress up in the garments of the animal soul. Famous Moshe of the Baal Shem Tev on this. The reason we eat, the reason we drink, on Shabbos and Yontif, is because the Nefesh Abamis needs to be needs to be taught to appreciate the divine on its terms. It will not understand pure ruchnius of Shabbos and Yontif. So you feed it. So the animal soul is eating because it feels fed. When in truth, it's really the deeper meaning in it is due to the fact that it's a higher spiritual transcendent day. So all of education has to be on the terms of the one you're educating. So at the end of the day, this was not about stealing at all. It's actually about educating. It would be the equivalent of a teacher giving an example to a student. Example is not fake fooling the student. Or when you tell a child, here, let me give you a candy because you learned Torah well. Or you did a mitzvah. So you could say, why a candy? Tell them this is God's Torah, God's mitzvahs. That alone is the reward. You're not fooling the child. You're explaining to the child on the child's terms that what you just did is valuable. How do you know it's valuable? Right now the child understands a sweet candy or another toy. When you get older, you realize that that candy and toy is really just a physical lavush and a garment for spiritual uh, sweetness and spiritual joy and spiritual pleasure. That's the brief answer. And as I said, I've elaborated much longer in the previous episodes, so I'm not going to continue. I think I could suffice with what I've said right now. Okay. Now, due to this new spike in COVID, unfortunately, and uh, we all are basically COVIDed out, as many people have been drained and worn out by the whole thing, besides the health challenges, all these precautions and regulations. So someone asks, should we be following the new COVID precautions and regulations? Dear Rabbi Jacobson, dear Rabbi Jacobson, is there a point in trying to protect ourselves from the virus. It seems like we all will all get it at some point, so maybe it's best to get it over with. I'm a shlucha, and some people in the community are getting frustrated with our precautions. Well, again, these questions have to be answered not by our moods and what we feel like. Obviously, we'd all love this whole thing to go away and stop having all the limitations and, uh, and, and even the confusion around that. Are these limitations all legitimate? This doctor says one thing, is it politically driven? Has it other agendas? So we have a lot of questions. But we have a teira eir. At the end of the day, we have to turn to teira, ta'aloche. That's what the Rebbe would always say in any situation you're dealing with medical and health issues. Even if it's true that the majority of people who get COVID do not impact them in any detrimental way. Some people are asymptomatic, some are mild symptoms. But we know that people have died. So there's a sakona involved. There is pekoch nefesh involved. 
and we, we, we know who's going to take Achrayis. We can't take Achrayis and say, you know what, let's all just let our guard down. Which is why we must have no choice. If you go to any Rav, you follow Halacha, Halacha says you have to follow the guidelines of a doctor, of doctors. I'll say, you know what, I don't even trust the doctors any longer. I don't trust the politicians. They have their own agenda. You know, they say after 10 p.m., what, COVID suddenly becomes a, a more of a factor. And certain groups, they are definitely targeting more than other groups. And one state and the next state. I agree. There's plenty of confusion, but we can't come to our own conclusions. We don't become our own doctors. So because of the Suffolk Shabbat, the doubt, always best to err on the side of caution and not dismiss it. Nobody wants to take that achrayz. The Torah says clearly that you have to follow authorities and not be as, uh, smarter than they are, as well as the fact that there is the concept of during a pandemic, a plague, a magefa, a dever, we know the, the halachas that talk about quarantining and so on. And atam leiseitsu ish mepesach beise. Ad Baker, as Moshe told the Eden during the first plague of the ten of the firstborn, as the Gemara and Baba Kama site, which halacha bases upon the halachas that are dealing with pandemics or epidemics and so on. So, I obviously am not passing here as a rov. Listen to your rabbonim, listen to your doctors, and that's what we need to do until the Ebrister finally, and hopefully we can eradicate with Ebrister's help eradicate this. Uh, this virus once and for all. Okay, follow-up question to that, which is something I spoke about, but since people are asking me, I've got at least three questions. If we walk on Shabbos wearing a mask, is it considered a garment and permissible, or is it considered carrying on Shabbos? I'm almost sure I discussed this back then, back in March or April, when, when it first broke, the pandemic. The Rabbonim have clearly passed, and because of the Pukuach Nefesh issue, the mask is not for uh, cosmetic or for uh, or some accessory, it's a matter of protection, and therefore it's considered to be completely permissible, and the Rabbonim themselves wear masks, so therefore that's the answer, but if you want to really confirm it halachically, check with your local and your authorized authority, rabbi, rabbinic authority. Okay. What should I do if my spouse chooses to believe in nearly every conspiracy theory out there, especially those related to health. For example, the recent theory that Bill Gates plans to install tracking 5G nanochips through COVID vaccines. How am I supposed to trust my spouse's general judgment on such a case? Okay. This is a uh, sensitive question um, because even if we agree, and we will agree, that the conspiracy theories are, many of them are exactly that, theories, and sometimes they're cockamamie theories that have no basis at all. They're out there, especially with technology today and the media. People can perpetuate the conspiracy theories about anything. But here comes the different issue. It's your spouse. I'm not talking about just some conspiracy theory out there. Your spouse is concerned about it. And to tell your spouse this is nonsense and superstition and, and just ridiculous that is also a factor because you want to have a respectable relationship, respectful relationship and a respectable relationship. So I would advise the following. If an, a normal, intelligent conversation cannot be had because your spouse is convinced, and it could be either way, the husband is convinced or the wife is convinced, um, 
so then it comes down to like any other disagreements that you really can't get through. Let's say you're sure of something and your spouse does not accept it. And you know, let's argument's sake, objective parties have said that you're right. Because that's not always the case. Sometimes a spouse says, I'm right, and they're not necessarily right. But let's assume that you're right, your spouse is wrong. So you have to figure out a way to work, work around it. Maybe not to bring it up. Maybe it's not the time to try to convince because it can just create a lot of tension. And if they're children, it can create an environment that is not going to be conducive for other things. So you have to choose your battle, so to speak. Maybe something shouldn't be spoken about. Now, if it comes down to action, like for example, some spouses are absolutely anti-vaccine. And either due to conspiracy theories or their own understanding or they bought into someone saying that vaccines do this or do that. And you, the other spouse, does not accept that at all. So this gets, of course, this can challenge a marriage in a very deep way. So here I would ask the question, can you and your spouse agree to go to a third party? Like any type of disagreement. Instead of fighting about it, go to a third party you both trust, and we'll listen to that third party. The problem is a lot of anti-vaccinators, whatever it's called, are almost religious about it. And they, they think they're smarter than a third party too. That can pose a problem. That can pose a real problem. You know, so I'm not even discussing now how you can trust, trust your spouse because there could be a spouse you can trust entirely, entirely, even though they may have certain theories about whether it's vaccines or other things. We spoke about the vaccine uh, controversy a while back. So I refer you back then, back to those uh, topics. That was, goes back... I'd have to give you the, I don't have the exact uh, episode, but if you look it up on Chassidah Supplied, you, you can certainly find it. But I would look at this as not an issue of conspiracy theories and not, it's more of an issue of husband and wife communicating. If there's indeed a deep relationship and a deep love and trust between both of you, the spouses, I would believe this can be addressed in a certain way because the love is deeper than your positions. If, however, this exposes other issues, and that you have not, many other issues you can't really communicate about, then you may need to address it in a deeper way with a, uh, with a third party, with a mentor, with a rabbi, with a therapist, with someone that you both trust that can understand both of you. I just don't see a way around. I don't have a quick fix of what you say when somebody's convinced of something. Again, with these conspiracy theories, people are convinced to the point, you know, I deal with this all the time. And, okay, so I try to get around it, I try to say, is it possible that maybe you're not 100% right? But you have to know each case by case, some people can't even hear that. They think you're not being respectful. By dismissing, they say they did the research, and for sure, for sure, this conspiracy, that conspiracy. Generally speaking, I for one, I speak from the perspective of Torah, the Rebbe, anyone that wrote to the Rebbe about conspiracies, basically the Rebbe would say, be innocent and smooth, straight with the ways of God. You don't need to be smarter. Listen to authorities. You're not a doctor. Listen to other experts in their particular fields. So when you have that type of attitude in general, a Teda attitude, and you do respect the Rebbe, and you respect Teda's view, Teda should be telling us what's right and what's wrong. So why is, it, why is a conspiracy stronger than Teda? To say, for example, is a conspiracy, and Tater would say, if you went to a Tater authority, and they'd say, you know, it's, it's, it's possible, but most likely not, continue living. It would be like someone who becomes OCD, and they're committed to something completely, and the Tater says, do not be that uh, extreme about it. 
So that would be another aspect. But I don't know if a spouse can say that to, the, to their spouse because then you'll be seen as condescending, as be seen like you're trying to control me or you're trying to tell me what's right. That's why I recommend the third party. But I believe if people are based on Yerushalayim and Teira and Chassidus and the Rebbe's approach, many of these ideas can be, I can't say someone won't have any accepting of conspiracy theories, but it could be somewhat diffused and not be so adamant like anything. Who's right about anything? 100%, right? You know 100% that this is a, a conspiracy and not a conspiracy. Some people feel the whole COVID thing is a conspiracy. And yet, we have to follow, excuse me, Rabbonim and Teir. We cannot become smarter than what the Teir tells us to do in these circumstances. Now, I know people will say, well, I don't have anyone I could trust. Well, we have to find someone you can trust. A Rav, a Mashpia, an intelligent person who has Teir Yusaydis foundations, doesn't have to be someone necessary with a title. It can be maybe an older aunt or an older grandmother, someone who has life experience, who has a balanced look at life. We all should have people like that in our lives in general because Adam cultivates a lot. We all have subjective stuff. All of us have sometimes different quirks and uh, peccantillos and, and, and idiosyncrasies. So it's important to be able to balance that by asking someone. You know, it's not just this issue of conspiracy. Some people have a lot of fear in them. They're afraid of things. and are very paranoid. The way we balance that is we know there's a, a neighbor that runs the world and he's given us people we can speak to. Have a mashpia that can give you a little more, um, I guess, balance and something that will create a little more calm in one's life. Often people who grab onto conspiracy theories or others, it's not always coming because they like every theory. It could be a way of creating some security in their lives. But I don't want to overanalyze this because it's case by case. So I believe I give some suggestions which I hope are helpful. If not... Please follow up if you have more details, if anybody wants to address this further. This is exactly what this forum is all about. Okay. Now we talk, go into yet another area. And that is politics. Now, in general, I wouldn't speak about politics because as we'll soon talk about, politics is not necessarily the theme of my life, Chassidus Applied. We're talking Chassidus, Applied to Life, to Teir, Applied to Our Lives. But since there are issues going on in the world, those like COVID, and the same thing with uh, elections and politics, so what is Chassidus' approach to it? What's the Torah approach to it? To tell you that I got a few, a few letters would be an underestimate, many. And some irate, some angry, some with one opinion, some with other opinion. And I really feel for everyone, and I respect everybody's notes and comments, as you'll see, I'll read as time allows this week. If not, we'll continue next. Uh, because it's very reflective of the, unfortunately, the, the unfortunately, I don't know if it's unfortunate, the diverse, and I would say even divisive and polarized opinion that's out there. And being that I did speak about it last week, and I tried to keep a balanced approach based on Teir and Chassidus. Some people did not feel I did not do that. So I do feel that it's worthwhile talking about but I'm not talking about this as Dvarim Betelim, just, you know, just to talk about things that are happening in the news. We're here to learn Chassidus and to apply Chassidus to our lives. That's all the whole purpose is. And this itself is a sign. How does a Chassidus Shehid, how does a Chassid, well, I'll do the best of my ability, address these topics that are affecting us all, that are consuming people, 
frankly, personally, I think God runs the world. And as I said, I'll repeat it again and again. And yet at the same time, the Ebishter does want us to have a, a certain position, but it's not a political position. It's best for the shlichus of Ayetze Yaakim Be'er Sheva Ve'yelacharon. How do we bring godliness, alakus, and the Tater perspective, and the Chesidish perspective in a place called Charona? We can't be defined by Charon and the media of Charon. We have to be defined by Tater and Chesidish. So I feel this is an opportunity to do so. So I'll do so, continue to do so the best of my ability. So here is uh, some of the questions, and I see, okay, more than I even expected. Okay, we'll begin with this. Are you a supporter of Trump or Biden? I can't figure it out. That was one question that came in, which I think sets the stage for the coming questions. Yeah, I specifically did not state it for a very obvious reason. I'm a supporter of God. That's all I'm here for. Chassidus applied is about bringing Chassidus to the world. And you try to, based on what Torah and Chassidus tells us and the guidelines the Rebbe and the Rabbein before the Rebbe gave us, you try to apply that. But let's not try to corner me or anybody because that's not what's interesting. Just like I'm not looking to determine who you are. I want to know one thing and the only thing we should know is this. Are we fulfilling our mission in this world of spreading a locus? Spreading godliness to everyone we reach, including addressing issues that are polarizing or dividing. We know for sure divisiveness is not Torah, not Chassidus. So how do you address it? The only way is to go back to values that the Torah states. Now, if someone doesn't accept those values, fine. You don't have to go into battle with them. But okay, they don't accept it. Everyone has their axioms. But if we do accept the same values, then let's see how those values inform the situation at hand. That's, that's my position, very transparent. I am not hiding anything. And yet, here's a question. Dear Rabbi, from your talks it is clear that you are a supporter of President Trump. Four years ago you said in a lecture that clearly this is who God intended to be president of our country. I know that most of the Orthodox world supported him. And for a large part of that world, there is a great belief that the election was fake and that Trump is the rightful president. Would you still maintain today, as you did four years ago, that the president is chosen by God? If so, would you be as supportive of Biden's election as you were of Trump's? Okay. So let me respond, and then you'll see the next letter that I received says the exact opposite, which I find somewhat amusing. You know, why am I supporting Trump? Why am I supporting Biden when clearly Trump is the one that God wants to be president? I'm just reading quickly, but let me just, let me respond to this. I don't know what you say was clear, not clear. I state exactly for the record. Yes, the heart of kings and leaders are in the hands, are in the hands of God, which, whether that includes the election of the leader or once there's a leader that, let's assume both are correct and that's what I would assume because everything's Ashgach HaPratis. I'll say, what about, don't we elect? So yes, we do, but God also maybe influences how we think. So, but bottom line is, once a leader is in place, that is, Ashgach is the one that's there. And there's no difference whether it's Biden or Trump or Obama or Carter or Clinton or Bush or all the other presidents. And for that matter, I'm not going to compare it because this is, a, 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 at the end of the day, a Malchus Shalchesed in a free country. Nicholas the Tsar Nicholas, or I would, I would even say the Yamach Shemoyes. When we suffered greatly under them, 
And I've said that a number of times, so I'm not even sure why one would ask this question. The only reason I understand why people ask this question is because the polarization is so intense that if you feel or smell even one thing that somebody may say something that sounds like pro-Trump, right away, something's wrong. No. God, yes, we've had leaders. We had Pare Melech Mitzrayim. What do you need more than that? Nebuchadnezzar. Titus. I mean, people who brought the worst tzaddus on Jewish people. Of course we wanted them gone, but at the time, that was what, whatever the reason, the mysterious reason. So that's number one. Jewish leaders wrote prayers even for those even, even leaders. So, yes, at the end of the day, it's what God wants. And that's my answer to your question. Uh, the fact that you say the most of the Orthodox world well, look, let me ask you a question. 74 million people in this country, I would not say most of them are Orthodox Jews. So why would you even say a statement like that? That sounds a little to me like somewhat, uh, what's, what's the word, what I said, condescending or stereotyping. Um, I never call myself an Orthodox Jew or a rabbi, Orthodox rabbi for that matter. I'm just a human being. And so I find that a little offensive, actually. And if you say 74 million voted for Trump and 79 million voted for Biden and he won the election, fine. But then you have to deal with that, that the country does have millions that feel one way and feel the other way. At the end of the day, an election is an election. Now, regarding the issues of fraud or not, I am not determining that. How do I know? Was I there? Is it possible? Everything is possible. Is there any proof? If there's no evidence then that's what you need in the court of law. There's no evidence. Then, yes, President Trump should concede, and the new president will be President Biden. It seems to be that's the way it's going, but I'm not here to make that decision, and I'm not here to criticize one side or the other. I feel it's just part of a whole climate for the last four years of a lot of distrust both ways. And I ask you the question in return. Were you as upset and irate when there was a Russia collusion um, accusation against Trump last election as you are now about this people calling this fraud if you were then God bless you but it's just let's keep things balanced here so I believe I answered that question then I got the question another way around from what you said it appears that you are a supporter of Biden how could a Jew and a religious Jew support that platform and not someone who's been so good to the Jewish people and to Israel and peace in the Middle East, etc. So here again, the, fact, the mere fact that what I said evoked one response from one person, evoked another response from another person, what can I tell you? Um, what That alone tells you something. I find that to be actually a compliment because it means I did not say anything in a specific way very deliberately. Do I have my opinion? Yes, I have my opinions about what I see and what I don't see. But I'm not here to make endorsements, and I'm not, that's not my goal. My goal is to give a perspective from Tehran I'm not here to influence anyway. It's after the election anyway. There's no voting happening now. But I find it to be interesting that, that there's a need. I don't have a need with anyone I know, and with any of you listeners, my dear friends, ladies and gentlemen, I have no need to know what your position is. And if you should tell it to me, I wouldn't look at you in any different way. I may have an opinion, but what, so, so what? We all have opinions. I think we need to lift ourselves up from, this fray, from the fray and look at things, and that's why we have a Tehidah to look at things, what does God want? Now can I say one candidate is definitely what God wants, the other one not? Our hope is 
that whoever is elected will be a, an ambassador and fulfill some of what God wants to fulfill in this world. Sometimes there are platforms that seem to be very antithetical to that. And they also disturb me, of course. And this can be from whether it's President, President Trump's perspective or President Biden's perspective or previous presidents. Our role is to keep our eyes on the ball what exactly God wants of us all. And the principles of the United States are quite clear. The Rebbe said it time and again, all people are created equal, unalienable rights. To recognize in God we trust, e pluribus unum, to teach our children and education that there's a higher eye that sees and the ear that hears, accountability, a moral and ethical unwavering foundation to our lives. A president that advocates that and a president that will support that and will continue to trump, to, to, um, to uh, convey that message. That's the president. That's what we're looking for. And we have to do everything possible to influence whoever it is that is elected. Okay. Here's a rather longer one. But before I go to that, let me read this one. Why do you refer to this post-election time as being in a weird and bizarre state? That's what I said last week. Did you not recognize the president-elect? Do you not recognize the president-elect? Do you give credence to the claims that the election was rigged? To me, it's a weird and bizarre state, first of all, even pre-election. Just the, the, the polarization, as I said, the divisiveness, the sheer hatred. For somebody who is pro-Trump, Someone that hears that, you should see the attitude, the derision, the dismissal, and perhaps the other way as well. That to me already is weird and bizarre, to that extent. I mean, I have my theories, I explained some of them. Now, post-election, yes, the mere fact, number one, that due to this whole environment, they couldn't even announce a winner that night. It took, I don't know, another day or two, which is that itself is quite bizarre. And finally, the mere fact that, the, that President Trump doesn't accept it is also bizarre. Whatever you feel, even if you agree with them or disagree with them, it's bizarre. <laughs> they didn't concede. The transition is compromised. And all this that's going on, where is it going to lead to? The fact that the Senate has not been determined as well needs a runoff. To me, these are all bizarre and weird. As a matter of fact, if you quote me entirely, I said it's part of the consistency of the uncertainties of our time. I even gave a class right after the election that said, what now? And spoke about that in addition to all the uncertainties we've already had this year with COVID and the racial tensions and this thing and that thing, now we yet have an election that's undetermined. That was the context. But here again, and I'm not saying it to be critical, when I hear a tone like this, I wonder, was it bizarre and weird to you that a president was elected four years ago and still was trying to be impeached and it was uh, the Russia, some call it a hoax? Were you as irate as you were now as that? And when you ask this question... I would like to hear that answer. From my point of view, again, I don't have a position here about this one or that one. To me, you know, hopefully there's clarity. We may never know everything. Still, I mean, some people still feel it was Russia collusion, by the way. I know that. People tell me that. It was just not proven, they said, or not proven beyond a reasonable doubt. I mean, there's all kinds of opinions. Trump definitely is a lightning rod for every possible perspective, and that too is an interesting I want to add one more thing, what I said earlier, why, why I felt four years ago, why did I speak about God? Because Trump was the most unlikely candidate to win. I found that to be quite interesting. 
person who didn't have the experience, did not climb the ranks of the Republican Party, beat in the nomination of the Republicans 20 or whatever, 15 very competent politicians, and then won against all odds. Everyone thought he would lose. I also thought he would lose. So I saw that as some type of mysterious hand of God. Biden's winning, actually, is not that mysterious. He's a longtime politician. He knows the ropes. He tried to get elected in the past. Didn't work. COVID, of course, worked in his favor. But many things, so it's not surprising to me. I still believe Leib Melachim Vesar and Biyad Hashem. It's still that the hearts of leaders and king, kings and leaders are in the hands of God. But my point is, all this comes together creating a bizarre reality out there. And um, rigged, I am not commenting on that. If there's evidence, let them produce the evidence. There's no evidence, it makes no difference what we feel. I'm definitely not into conspiracy theories. And uh, so, as I just discussed earlier, and President Biden is the president-elect. I'll become president. We pray for him. We pray for his success. We pray that he will live up to the mandate of the President of the United States, just as we prayed for Mr. Trump and the presidents before, to live up what this country is meant to do and live up to those standards. I know some people feel he will not do that. The Democratic Party and its platform is antithetical to what God wants, what the Torah values want, which is yet another question, but I don't know time-wise whether I'll be able to get to it. Just give you a little foretaste here. How can we be complacent about the democratic anti-Torah values agenda? And um, so uh, let me read, let me see, just see what we have here. And once again, to these topics, I have to tell you, it's hard to get out of them. Um, okay, you know what I'll do is I'm going to read one more and then leave more for follow-up. And uh, I'll read two more actually here. Comment on, th- on episode 331, how to view the elections. I believe it's wrong to conflate the 2016 election with the 2020 election. The uproar, the uproar over the 2016 election was due to the fact that the candidate who won the popular vote lost the electoral college vote. This may have never happened before. I think it did happen, by the way, twice, but fine. But the founder set up the electoral college precisely to prevent a couple of highly populated states from dominating the rest of the country. On the other hand, there's been clearly demonstrated and proven fraud in the 2020 election. Okay, there you go. The exact opposite position. Again, I'm not going to comment on this. I think they both were pretty bizarre. Maybe Mr. Trump himself is a bizarre type of individual. And regardless, each, each has its own personality. I'm not conflating the two. I think they're very different. I'm not sure who does conflate the two. I guess, I guess the Republicans, the pro-Trumpers are saying, hey, you challenged President Trump, but did they challenge it in court? I can't say they did the same thing. The results were accepted. Mr. Obama conceded, but he was not going to be an ex-president anyway. So I, I would not make comparisons. I think it gets into a political battles, which I don't think is, is again, appropriate, and it's definitely not the, the context of this uh, platform here. Okay. Then finally, someone writes, should we stay out of politics? Was there once an incident where the Rebbe told his secretaries that he wouldn't come out and attend the Lag Bahama parade if the organizers invited a politician to speak at the parade? Is this a lesson for us to stay out of, the polit- out of politics? So first, regarding the story, yes, I heard it. I never substantiated it. It was Lag Bahama, Tov Shalom, and Gimel when the Rebbe did not come out. Um, but uh, there were other factors as well. 
I also heard this reason. If indeed it is true, and if anybody has more information to really establish that this was the case, um, yes, it is a good lesson. Because Lag Bayman is a holy day, a Yem Heilula the Rajbi. The Rebbe is the Rajbi Shabadereinu, the Moshe Shabadereinu is coming out to speak. Why are you bringing politics here? This is Kedusha, this is Alakus, this is Ayomtev. So it's a very much a lesson. And I, would, I don't take the cue from that particular story, but the whole spirit. We don't, we're not spoiled from politics. We have a God, we have a Teda. Like I quoted the Rabbi Levi Yitzhak when he said, the Prussians say their king is the greatest. The, the, the French say their emperor is the greatest. The Russians say their czar is the greatest. And Ich, he said, I, Levi Yitzhak ben Sarasosha says, Yiskad Levi Yiskad made up. So absolutely. We have to look at politics like other Havli Elam Hazen, things of the world, and some of them that do impact much more than just political things in Washington. And look at it from the perspective of Tayra, which we'll continue doing in next episode because simply time limitations. Right. Let me do a Chassidus question and then the essays, and then we shall um, conclude. The Chassidus question, dear Rabbi Jacobson, this might qualify as a Chassidus question, but I'm asking in connection with your recent series addressing addiction. In episode 329, you responded to a letter from a despairing Bachar who is struggling with online addictions by invoking what we say every day, The soul you have given me is pure, every morning we say. Of course I believe that this must be true, but belief and understanding are two dramatically different things. And I hope you can explain what this means. Are we simply acknowledging that we have a pintaliyid? And if that is what we mean, when we, when, then how does this help us accept Say that there's a part of us that is always pure, too far out to reach, too far out of reach to be affected, but also too far out of reach to affect, to help us. Or are we saying that each morning when we wake up, our, we, when we wake up, our souls have actually been purified anew and refreshed to some degree and we can take on our challenges with a renewed strength? And if this is what we mean, then how do we explain that there is real, that this, this, how do we explain this as there are no, as there, as there is no readily apparent difference upon awakening when I feel as ensnared as the night before. Your response resonated with me on a very deep level, and ever since I've heard, I've been extremely stirred up, but I'm having trouble accepting it on a logical level, so please elaborate on this at full length. With much gratitude for your help so far, with anticipation for its continuation, may you be benched with all goodness, sincerely. An excellent question. Basically, is Neshamesh Nesatebi Tehedihi? mean that our soul is purified anew each morning, or is it just the idea of a pintleyid all the time? I, I can't say I've seen it explicitly discussed, but to me, it's very clear that it means actually anew every day, renewed every day. Neshama ba'ape, renewed. Bekarim chadoshim kipkarim, it says. The expression is renewed every morning. Which means, in addition to the pintaliyid, in addition to the essence of every Jew, having a chelik of the mamish, and no matter what happens, that's always intact, something happens every night. That the neshama goes back and sheps in the she'eves it draws water, sustenance, spiritual sustenance, 
from the heavenly waters, and it comes back anew, refreshed, and God gives it new strength, a new contract, a renewal of its mandate. And yes, Chassidus explains, Tehidi is the level of Atzilus, which means that level of Atzilus is renewed within us, and then So all are all renewed. I, the fact that you are coming back, you're not, it's not like you have a fresh, clean slate, and any of the addictions or toxins or other issues that you've had before you went to sleep, Remain because you're born, you re, you're what Chassidus calls Chidush Hayashenus. The world is renewed every second, but it's not renewed as everything is from day one. The trees are renewed exactly as they were a moment before. When we are renewed every moment, not just by night, we're renewed not like we're reborn. If you're 20 years old, you're still 20 years old. You're renewed where you were, but with a renewed energy. Just like Rosh Hashanah is a completely Chadash, a new energy enters into existence. And at the same time, the world is not as if it's Tavshim Payal, if it's not year one. So the renewal is within the being that's already there, but there's renewed energy. Everything needs Aveda. Even with this renewed energy, doesn't mean it's automatic that all your addictions and all your challenges are gone. But you should know you have energy, new energy, in addition to the Pintaliyid, in addition to the divine connection we always maintain, every morning gives you a whole new renewed energy. So if you would do your work properly, it's easier to get, get beyond and heal and recover from any type of challenges we have. That's how I would explain this, uh, this idea. So it's a tremendous lesson of com- vote of confidence within us, giving us hope, renewed hope, and every morning again, so never feel that you're damaged goods or we're just old baggage. And whatever was there is staying. No, it's renewed. Every second your life is renewed. But every morning it's in a much broader way. And of course every Rosh Hashanah in an even more general, more powerful way because of Er Chodosh of Rosh Hashanah, which is a, a unique, unprecedented energy. But on a more microcosmic level, it's every morning, which, which gives us much hope and much confidence in being able to create, turn a new leaf, and transform our lives. Okay, so we've been doing now the sixth annual My Life, the sixth annual My Life Chassidus Applied Essay and Creative Contest. Every week we've been doing the next level of winners. So we're now up to the sixth place winners, and there were four winners: one English essay, one a creative presentation, Hebrew men essay, Hebrew women's essay. So. The English essay in sixth place was Weaning Our Children Off Extrinsic Motivation. Liba Rimler, 21, teacher, Cheder Chabad of Muncie, Pomona, New York. Very interesting and powerful essay, which can be seen at chassidusapply.com. And the essay basically is about self-esteem from a Hasidic point of view. She brings different ways of looking at it, but from a Hasidic point of view, that true self-esteem paradoxically comes by not focusing on the self focusing on the mission, on the cause. Many people feel that the only way to build self-esteem is constant reinforcement and validation. That's true to some extent. But it's also always focusing on the mission, not about you. That's the gist of it. But very well done. Excellent for parents and educators. So check that out. The first, the sixth place Hebrew essay for men is Hagisha HaChassidit L'chaim Ushanim Ha Postmoderni. 
The Hasidic approach to a fulfilling life in the postmodern world by Yisrael Yitzchaki, Charish Eretz Yisrael. Yes, here he brings a, a, a study in contrast between Chava, Noyach, and Sora, based on Maimorim, based on Madrash, and based on Zoyar, that talks about three different approaches to life and life's challenges. Very well done, well, well, uh, well annotated, and comes away with the best possible approach, of course, Sora building upon the first two approaches, the whole new approach to our children, to our work, sets it out in very structured ways, tablets, uh, tables, and uh, bullet points that really make it easy to apply. So this is in Hebrew, and this can be seen at diraloy.org. Website is diralo.org. The, the sixth place winner for women as a Hebrew contest for, uh, is Nolit Kasher. Please connect. Chana ben Chamo, Kfar Chabad, Israel. I personally really enjoyed this one. Using one of the, the, uh, the, one of the psychologists of the, the, past, of the past generation about attachment, the importance of attachment in the relationship between parents and children at a young age, goes ahead and, and talks about that attachment is extremely valuable, talks about hiskashrus, the hiskashrus to God, the hiskashrus to Rebbe, the hiskashrus to Teda is uh, equally important in many ways even more important. But using the concept of attachment principle, you applies that through a Tehidah way in development of children and development of all of us into successful and self, self-reliant and, self, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, self-confident adults. And finally, the sixth-placed creative submission is called Aleph, elevating 2D to 3D, sculpture. It's a piece of sculpture, you can see the image at chassidusapplied.com. Sarah Muchkin, 28, Village Community School, School Administration, Brooklyn, New York. Essentially taking the principle um, taking the principle of the famous story that Alter Rebbe said to the chassid, I have a mitzvah and you have a mitzvah. Let's trade mitzvahs. You have a mitzvah of make parnosa for your family. I have a mitzvah for shenantan levonecha. So please teach my, I'll, I'll take care of you, I'll, I'll pay you that you teach my child. And, and, and they came back, what should he teach? So the Alter Rebbe said, the famous thing, voices are now left, a pintle for neighbor, and a pintle for nudin, and a carvus for bins, voices are now left, a youth for neighbor, and a bester, a youth for a yid for nudin, and a carf for Yiddishamayim that binds them together. So I made this very powerful sculpture that captures this and different dimensions of it and how you look at it. So you could check it out. I'm always extremely touched when somebody takes such a completely different medium and expresses such a profound theme of Chassidus. So there you have it, my friends. My Life Chassidus Applied, episode 332. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Everyone be blessed. It should be a Geula Dika week to the Geula Amitiz Vashlema, going from the Geula of the Mitla Rebbe. And Chal Chedesh Kislev is a month of Geula. Be blessed, be well, and be healthy. Thank you. This program is brought to you by My Life, Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at hasidusapplied.com slash donate.